BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello, Freckled Foodie family. I am super pumped about today's episode because it is one I can't believe we've recorded because I've been following this account for so long and they are like my end all be all for information on this topic. And it just seems surreal that like I get to interview the founder about all of this. It's just wild to me that we get to do this. It's fucking amazing. But it's also an episode that I feel is super educational and informative when it comes to this topic. And I know that that's something that parents are looking for when we face these topics that feel so overwhelming. We just want someone to hold our hand and help us and provide us with facts and information that is data and science backed and that is coming from a team of actual professionals with the correct licenses. Like that is so important especially when it comes to parenting. So today's episode does just that. Today we are talking with Jenny Best, who is the founder of Solid Starts. Jenny personally is a mom of three, including a severe picky eater and twin toddlers. And Jenny is a baby-led weaning expert and food and farming enthusiast on a mission to make it easier for parents to introduce real food to their babies. I share a lot of Liam's eating journey on my account, and you guys know by now, hopefully, um, that we've been doing baby led weaning from the get-go, and it is so amazing to me to watch him really like figure out his relationship with food and what he loves and what he's not that into and how he eats things and... The whole thing is so eye-opening. Anyone that watches it, any friends or family that watch him do this, it it feels like you're really watching this like evolutionary experience, which I guess you kind of are. It's just fascinating. I find the entire thing fascinating. And I am so grateful that he loves food as much as I do. The kid freaking loves food. Solid Starts is an incredible platform and database, honestly, um, that advocates for an approach that they named finger, finger food first. That is so hard for me to say with my speech impediment. Um, it involves letting go, letting go of the impulse to control every spoonful and letting go of the expectation that you should make one meal for your baby and another for everyone else. Because that is my goal. I want Liam to be eating and like our future children to be eating what Joe and I are eating because I just don't have time to cook multiple meals if we are being honest. Um, So in Solid Starts, you can purchase some of their programs that are behind a paywall, but their first food database is 
it's there for free for everyone. You can search a food, you can watch videos, you can look at um, informational graphics, you can read about it, and you can see like how you should best introduce it to a child or what shape the child should be eating it based on their age. It's freaking amazing. And when I tell you I use this all the goddamn time, I am not lying. Like, all the time. The Solid Starts team consists of passionate parents like Jenny, but then also feeding therapists, swallowing specialists, pediatricians, and allergists, pediatric dietitians, lactation consultants, and a brilliant nutritionist. It's the one and only comprehensive multidisciplinary team in the baby food and feeding space. And I freaking love it. So this conversation, as I mentioned, is super informative and educational. It's also fun. I, I love Jenny. So I think you guys are really going to appreciate this episode. And I think it's going to be very helpful for any parents who are either in the midst of their starting solids journey or about to reach it, or honestly, for people who don't have kids yet, who are just interested in the topic, because I truly find it all fascinating. Without further ado, here is Jenny. Come on in. Jenny, thank you so much for coming on Freckled Foodie and Friends. The Freckled Foodie family is very, very excited to hear from you. And they submitted a whole lot of questions. So I'm pumped for this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Me too. Our followers love you. Thank you so much. When you messaged me, I was like, this is the kindest and nicest thing. Like I felt like it was a celebrity reaching out, not going to lie, <laughs> because I've consumed so much of your content that I'm like, Solid Starts is the guru. Like you are the account, in my opinion, and I think many other people's opinion for baby led weaning and all things feeding your children. Thank you so much. We're working really hard. I wanted to bring together a team of medical experts where I felt that was really lacking. There's endless mom blogs and a lot of nutritionists and dietitians who are wonderful, but what felt to me was lacking in this space was that really trustworthy, bulletproof, pediatrician-driven, feeding therapist-driven content that was all integrated in one place. So that's so good to hear. Thank you. Well, you've done it. So kudos <laughs> to you. I want to, obviously I have a lot of specific like feeding style questions, but I'm genuinely curious, how did you even get involved in this space? I know you're a mother, so I can understand how it originally happened, but like w walk us through that journey. Yeah, it's kind of a winding one. I never anticipated um, running something like this, truthfully. And, you know, I think when when I first was a first time mom, like if we really want to go back there, I kind of just did what everyone else did when starting solids. I went to the store, I bought a pouch or a jar, whatever it was. We came back, we started solids. It didn't go very well. I was really <laughs> deflated. <laughs> Um, and, you know, long story short, I ended up with a, a really severe picky eater. And there's a lot of reasons for why some of him, some of me, and I wanted to kind of 
do this differently the next time around. When I got pregnant with the twins, I started really researching uh, infant feeding and preventing picky eating and reversing picky eating and just how it ends up that these three-year-olds, four-year-olds are really only willing to eat like three or four things. And why is that? Does it have to be that hard? I don't, I wasn't willing to kind of just accept that all kids are picky eaters or all toddlers are picky eaters. That didn't feel right to me. Um, When I started researching this and kind of fell into baby led weaning and researching um, similar Montessori type philosophies to, um, to weaning and starting solids, it really started clicking for me that I wanted to uh, pioneer like a finger food first campaign. The benefits of finger food early on are so enormous and it's well documented. It's just that the rest of the world isn't quite paying attention to it yet, but there is actually research there and evidence pointing in this direction. In fact, I think this is actually going to be the direction of the future. It's just going to take some time for the institutions and government and some of the slower Mm -hmm. authorities to kind of roll around to it. But um, I really wanted to do a campaign. I remember calling my friend, Kate, and I said, Kate, I have this idea. I want to build this database of foods where a parent can look up any food and see how to introduce it to their baby because baby led weaning is out there, but the how is not really clear. And I don't really want to take that advice from a mom blog or, you know, frankly, a, a nutritionist or a dietitian. I really want my pediatrician to tell me that this is safe and that this is how you can cut a steak for a six month old versus an 18 month old. And like, please, please, please tell tell me my baby is not going to choke. Like that was my, my mindset at the time. And I remember her saying, I'm talking with my friend on the phone. She said, so just start. And I was like, but how? And she said, I'm just going to get on Instagram or something. And so I did. <laughs> and here we are <laughs> 1.4 million people later through a pandemic. Um, but, you know, I think the, the, the more practical answer to that is, I was a mom of a really picky eater. I really wanted to help other parents learn how to prevent picky eating because it turns out it is largely preventable. There is a small percentage of kids who will always sort of end up picky for whatever reason. They might have more rigid personalities or just be more resistant to change, things like that. But by and large, you really can prevent this. And there are proven strategies and tactics and um, approaches to the table that can really shape that experience. But no one really teaches you about that. You know, you go to your pediatrician's office and you get a little tear off and it says four tablespoons of rice cereal or whatever, you know, it's like the important stuff is not quite reflected there. So I wanted to build a multidisciplinary team of academics and medical professionals and swallowing specialists and feeding therapists to really cover all of the bases and revolutionize the way we feed babies. Um, And here we are, solid starts. (laughs) I mean, I'm a huge fan. I've told you this, like I've tagged you guys a ton. I have used, I bought your like, I forget what the actual name for it is. I'll obviously link all of the things, but I bought like the intro guidelines, the allergen guidelines. So like, I'm a big believer in what you guys have built. I love it. I'm still curious with the origin. Were you working in the corporate world at this time or were were you a stay-at-home mom and you just took this idea and ran with it? What were you doing? Yeah. So I've actually never worked in the private sector in my life. This is my first sort of go at it. And it was quite accidental. I, I really wanted to do a campaign, an educational campaign. And then it occurred to me that 
to kind of give people what they needed were these guides. You know, everyone would DM the same questions, right? And it's like, I found myself at four in the morning, literally cutting, cutting and pasting from my phone the answers to all these questions. I'm like, oh, if I created a guide for that, then I could just send them a link. Yeah, let's do that. And so it was very organic and it kind of developed in, in this very responsive way to the community and what the community was asking for and what the community needed. And over time, it just sort of flourished into this food database and, um, and guides and online courses and things like that, primarily because I was just answering DMs all day long. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that you know, when, when I look back, I don't remember thinking I'm going to set out to create a company or set out to create a business. And, and in large part, we're kind of a social enterprise, you know, all of our guides and courses are free to those who need them as well as um, solo parents who can always request the guides for free. Um, and then the database of self itself is actually completely free. It'll be free forever. So I don't really know what we are to, to even call us a company feels strange to me, but I guess, you know, technically we are. Um, it, it just formed over time. There was no sort of one moment in time where we decided to like launch a startup or, you know, there was no like team huddle in a cafe. It was me, my phone, three babies at my feet and a pandemic. And um, over time, I started to um, kind of recruit uh, certain specialists to the team so that I wasn't rendering advice that I shouldn't be giving, you know, sort of like specialists. <laughs> you want the allergist talking about allergies and the doctor talking about doctor stuff and, and all of that. But actually, most of the team ended up coming to us, you know, as people wanting to volunteer or to get involved and, and be part of the change. That's awesome. And I think that's really important when it comes to the content that parents consume of seeking out professionals. And I am a big proponent of this. Like I'll share what I do with the caveat that like talk to your doctor. And this was a big thing when it, when I was pregnant and when I was breastfeeding about what I was choosing to eat, how I was choosing to act like you should not be seeking that type of guidance and rules from a social media influencer without a doctorate in whatever you're focused on. Um, so I applaud you for making sure that that's at the forefront. And it's hard to tell the difference these days, right? You know, very hard. We actually have, there's, um, three apps out there right now, copying our work, literally lifting our photos and our diagrams and our words, pictures I took with my iPhone from my dining table. (laughs) Like that's like the extent of our professional photography, but, um, you know, and uh, splashing across all the, the promotion is pediatrician approved and this and that I'm like, no, you're not. It's right. You have to really kind of look under the hood these days to understand who you're, who you're getting advice from. Unfortunately, unfortunately, but very seriously. Um, so for someone who's listening to this, that maybe is not a mother or father or who is just not aware of this stage of a child's life yet. What is the dumbed down version of baby led weaning? Like what is baby led weaning? Yeah. Skipping the purees and going straight to table food. So, um, I like to think of baby led weaning as a philosophy similar to like a Montessori, um, style approach to rearing children, right? So you're really prioritizing the independence of the baby, letting them reach for the food, decide what to reach for, when to bring it to their mouth and when they're finished, you know, the, the unfortunate thing with 
a controlled spoon feeding approach. And there are ways to do spoon feeding in a, in a really sort of dynamic baby led way. And I'll talk about that in a second, but um, the sort of standard open your mouth, here comes the airplane that you might think of how your grandmother fed you or your mom um, has a lot of problems uh, tied to it. If not any other reason not to do it is then it's likely you're more likely to overfeed your baby because they're not in control of the pace. Um, and the jar is deciding how much you should feed the baby versus the baby deciding how much I need at that moment. The range of what is normal for babies in terms of consumption is so wide. It's almost useless to, to even talk about. We refuse to publish tablespoons, teaspoons of death because it just, it, like I said, the range is just so big. It's, it's useless. You really shouldn't pay attention to that. We know that babies are able to communicate when they're hungry and when they're full from the first minute they are born. They will cry when they're hungry. They will mouth or reach, you know, for the breast or the bottle, and they will turn their head away when they're full. And that is an innate cue that they have. They don't need to learn, you know, how much they need to eat. So baby led weaning is skipping over this notion that we have to spoonful this perfectly textureless puree onto a perfect little spoon and then put it in their mouth a certain way and, you know, wipe their mouth right after. It turns out there actually is no developmental need or evidence-based research supporting spoon feeding as a way of starting solids. We literally do it because it's the way it's always been done. And that's it. Can so I interject? We're, we're questioning all of that, please. Yeah. I have one second, like one quick question. Was it always done this way? Because back in like back, 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 didn't we have to have used a baby led weaning method without it being labeled that, but like we didn't have blenders. I love that you pointed this out because yes, you are correct. There's limited, limited, you know, evidence of, of course, this. but what we do know is that before canning and before certainly blenders and machinery that broke down food into perfectly beautiful purees before the Vitamix, <laughs> right. And before the ability to store food in a jar and keep it on a shelf for a year, the babies were starting solids around 11 months old. If you have a baby who is older than that, you know that they have a pincer grasp, the ability to pick up small pieces of food. They also have uh, some teeth typically. And baby food at that time is a little, dare I say, irrelevant. You don't really need baby food at, you actually don't need baby food at all, but you don't certainly don't need it at 11 months of age. So what's really interesting is that the advent of baby food happens around 1920, 1930, when Gerber is created. And it is in large part a corporate construct. This is something that was a, a product that was invented. It was not a necessity before. Were mothers straining green beans before that? Yes. Were they working really hard in the kitchen to break certain foods down for their babies? Yes. Um, were babies consuming types of porridges that we might, you know, um, sort of be akin to rice cereal, of course, but they were also pre-chewing meat and handing that over. I think that it's probably a bit of a mix is, is the short answer to that. I think there was a mix of 
modifying the family meal and also offering some of what the family was eating. The most important thing for me in this is that the baby was getting the food the rest of the family was getting. Okay. So if it was steak and potatoes and carrots on the menu, it's likely that mom or dad was breaking down the carrots and mashing them and pre-chewing the steak, you know, potatoes may or may not have to be modified, but they were eating the same flavors in the family meal. What happened after the advent of baby food and the explosion of that commercial product, it's now, I think it's a $70 billion industry. It's one of the biggest. It is extremely lucrative. Um, What happened after that explosion is that we got dependent on this notion that babies can only have baby food. And I think in classic American fashion, we took something that was convenient that yes, liberated moms from the kitchen and had enormous benefits in terms of, um, you know, that, that kind those kinds of issues, but in classic fashion, I think we took it too far and became too dependent on it to the point now where you see three and four-year-olds um, sucking on a pouch as a primary meal, um, which is problematic on a number of levels. And what do you think, obviously we've touched on a few, but what would you say the main benefits of baby led weaning are for someone who is about to start solids and is deciding which way to go? Yeah, it has a lot of benefits, both in sort of the oral motor or how a child learns to swallow and become a safe eater, but also in preventing picky eating. So let's talk about the first, because it's really important. I think as parents, we sometimes think we're going to, you know, constantly, um, Uh, puree food or soften it to make it quote unquote safe for babies. But the reality is, is that a baby sucks purees and mashes to swallow. So they're using the same pattern that they know from the bottle or breast. They are sucking that food to swallow. They're not moving it over to the side of their mouth to be chewed up and down. So you are actually kicking the can down the road when you are exclusively serving textureless food to a baby because you're just sort of putting that off. So if you're saying to yourself, well, I want to wait until it's a little safer to introduce solid food or finger food. I don't quite feel ready yet. It's actually the reverse, the optimal time for a baby's reflexes and oral motor skills to kind of kick into gear, learn how to chew, practice those motions and become a safe eater, which is to say, take accurate bites, chew it up and down, move it around the mouth and swallow is actually from six to nine months of age. So there's a beautiful window there. Now, the other thing that I like to share with parents is that from six to nine months of age, the reflexes that protect against choking are in the highest gear, the most sensitive they will ever be in your child's life. So it's not only an optimal time from an oral motor perspective to learn how to work with chewable food. It's an optimal time to make mistakes because the body really has your back in a way that it won't have later on closer to a year of age. It's not that our protective reflexes, like the gag reflex or coughing and vomiting, these kinds of things that happen when like, you know, food gets too far in the back of the mouth, those don't go away. They're just not triggered as easily um, in older babies and, and toddlers. So I always kind of like to shake parents up a little bit and say, if you are waiting to introduce finger food because you are too afraid, you're actually doing yourself a disservice because it's, let me put it this way. 
Our feeding therapists and our swallowing infant swallowing specialists are far, far more worried about the toddler who hasn't had chewable food and who is now mobile, able to grab something off the counter, taking a bite and running away, climbing out of their high chair, all the things that toddlers do that freak us out. They're far more worried about that child grabbing something that they don't know how to work with in the mouth. It could be a marble, it could be a marshmallow, it could be rubber from your shoe, which happens, um, than the six-month-old with a T-bone steak. Far more worried about the toddler, far more worried. So you want to really take advantage of that six to eight months, six to nine-month window, um, because the protective reflexes are really in high gear, and they really do have your baby's back in terms of protecting against choking and helping the baby learn to, to eat. From a perspective of preventing picky eating, the early introduction of finger food, and I like to say it that way, and I'm going to stop here for a moment and explain that because, you know, I think we've gotten, our society has gotten very into like, let's pick which method of exercise and which and method wait, of diet. Can I pause diet. you for a second? Oh, yeah. Too long? Well, no, I just want to, I don't want to skip over all the choking stuff. So can we go oh. into that and then we'll go into the picky eating? Totally. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to ask another prompt? Yeah. So I a hundred percent believe, well, not a hundred percent. I'll start over. Most of the messages I get or the friends I speak with who are new moms are, I cannot believe you're doing baby led weaning. I am way too afraid. I am so anxious that my child will choke. I'm too afraid to do it. I'm too scared. Kudos to you. And honestly, there's, I've had some serious conversations with people because people love to bring up how afraid they are of my child choking while they're watching him eat. And I'm like, can we like sideline this conversation for when we're not observing him eat the food? Because like, I just feel like karma. I'm like, why do you have to talk about this right now? But I said to actually someone this morning, and I would love for you to provide the correct answer, but like statistically, is there a difference in choking like rates? I don't know if that's even measured. In terms of spoon feeding versus baby yeah. led weaning? No. In fact, there's a really rigorous, um, beautiful study out there, sort of a gold standard study that analyzed that very question. And um, what they found is that the, the, the rate of choking, if you will, is exactly the same. There is okay, no difference. That's what I thought. Um, and interestingly, the study also found that babies who um, started with baby led weaning were more likely to gag at the start, but for less long of a time in their life, whereas spoon-fed babies, and I'm talking completely textualist puree, right? Mm -hmm. um, those babies were more likely to gag later on and for a longer duration into toddlerhood because they were less familiar with texture in their mouth. So got it. yeah, there is no increased risk with the early okay. introduction of finger food. So I'm not wrong by saying that to someone this morning. And Liam definitely had his gagging moments in the beginning without a doubt. Um, but I will say, I'm also thinking if I'm in the mindset of a mom who just heard you say that, and my kid happens to be 10 months and I've only been doing purees, I could see how the mom guilt plays in and is like, well, fuck, now I screwed yeah. up. I yeah. missed the window. And I want to provide encouragement to those moms listening. Obviously, if you are, your child's not even six months yet, you're about to go on this journey that information you provided is very helpful in hopes of maybe leaning them towards baby led weaning. But if your child has already started their solids journey and you are someone who maybe was 
too nervous or anxious to do the baby led weaning approach. You've done purees. Now your child is 10 months. Like what does that transition look like? Because I want to provide them comfort also that like no one has screwed up here. Yeah, no, thank you for that. So first of all, there is no quote unquote transition needed. And there's sort of a fallacy of thinking in that there's this big bridge that you have to cross over from purees to finger food. That's not true. Can that transition be trickier for an exclusively spoon-fed baby? Sure. But in large part, it's because they don't know what to do with the food. It's not because they actually can't handle it in their mouth. They're just like, what do you want me to do with that? Right. They're confused. It's <laughs> and the same it, and in that case, them. modeling is really the way through just actually yeah. eating with your own fingers, eating the same food and showing babies have mirror neurons, right? We all do. And it's really, um, there's a high in gear because that's how babies and children learn through mimicking. And so even if you're eating the way you want your baby to be eating in front of them, and they're not quite doing it yet, their brain is actually practicing the motions of eating without even doing it um, themselves, which is really fascinating to me. So modeling is the way through, but in terms of getting yourself from purees to self-feeding or purees to finger food, simply just start introducing um, finger food. There, There is no special step that you need to take or a special sign of readiness for that if the child is old, older than six months of age. Um, what we usually recommend is that parents um, focus on really resistive um, foods that kind of act like teethers. If you imagine like a mango pit with a lot of the flesh cut off of it, um, a pineapple core, uh, meat on the bone, corn on the cob, these kinds of unbreakable foods are really fantastic. Um, Not only first foods for babies starting baby led weaning at six months of age, but babies in transition because they're easy to hold, which is satisfying for the baby. It's not too frustrating. It's not like squishing through their fingers or crumbling apart or too hard to pick up. Um, But they also can't bite through them, which gives the parents some reassurance that, um, okay, I can see like we can kind of take, you know, baby steps here, right? One foot in front of the other. The beautiful thing about these resistive um, kind of teether shaped foods as well is that they poke the mouth repeatedly and that poking actually helps the brain make a mental map of baby's mouth. So if you were to take a bite of um, a hard boiled egg, for example, and there was a little piece of shell, you, because you're an adult, your brain would identify that piece of shell, move it around and and spit it out without really having to think about that. It's almost an automatic thing at this point. That's because you have Yeah, you have a mental map of where things are in your mouth. Your baby lacks that. So we actually want those resistive foods kind of poking around the mouth Also let your baby mouth and teeth on the wrong end of the spoon that will have a very similar um, effect. Those constant pressure points are what we're going for. What I usually recommend to families who are very nervous or who are having trouble making that leap to the to table food is to start with these really resistive foods and keeping in mind, those aren't really for consumption, right? They're really for oral motor skills and the brain mapping that I was just talking about. Um, but pair that alongside uh, mashable that you can preload on a spoon and hand that over to baby. The really, the really important thing when you're transitioning from spoons to fingers or self, you know, spoon feeding to self feeding is to 
learn, let baby learn how to be in charge, which is a process of letting go. I mean, that's kind of like what parenting is, right? Yep. It's a long process of letting go. And that often is the, the messy hardest process. Part. Messy, hard process. And that's often the hardest part for parents is literally letting go of the spoon or letting go of the feeding process. So um, preloading a spoon and resting that on the table for baby to then reach and grab is an excellent step. If baby doesn't know how to grab the spoon or is kind of like, I don't know what you want me to do with that or really wants you to do it. Sometimes babies lean in and just kind of open their mouth. If they've been uh, used to being fed, you can kind of stop like spoon, get the food on the spoon, bring it to their mouth, stop before the mouth, wait, don't do anything. Just wait there and wait for baby to come grab it, then let go and bring it in. And yes, some of the food's going to fall off the spoon, but they're going to kind of mouth and teeth on it in that way. So that's a great first step. And if you're spoon feeding right now, whatever age, you can do that today. You don't need to wait for anything. You can preload the spoon, wait for baby to grab it, and then uh, baby can uh, essentially feed themselves with a spoon. That's called responsive spoon feeding, which is where I'd really love to see um, the world move toward as at least a first step. Um, we do that, honestly. Like, so Liam like has oatmeal or yogurt or cottage cheese, like we'll load up the spoon and just like leave it there. And then he'll grab it and he'll put it in his mouth to the point where now, like once I actually watched like someone try to speed feed him and he was like, what the fuck are you doing? Exactly. Like, he leans back and he's like, what is this? Like, mm-hmm. get that shit out of here. But mm-hmm. another question I have selfishly is I know, I, I think I've seen this somewhere where it's like, you know, you don't have to commit all in to baby led weaning. You can figure out what works for you. So is there any downside to, I will take me for example, Liam gets solids for breakfast, table food, you know, like whether it's yogurt and berries or peanut butter toast or scrambled eggs or whatever. He eats pretty much what I'm eating for breakfast. And then for dinner, he's eating either what we made the night before kind of, or I roast a bunch of veggies for him on Sunday and some pastas. He's obsessed with buttered noodles now. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, Burger patties, rotisserie chicken, all of those things. However, lunch, I'm normally like sometimes either I'm not home and he's with his sitter or we're out and about. And so in that case, I do give him a pouch and he just feeds himself with the pouch. Is there harm in that? No, not okay. at all. And also I'm just going to take the liberty of saying, can we all just drop the methods? We don't have to name yes. the style of feeding that we're choosing. You don't have to pick a certain philosophy. Take the best of what you see and what feels like it fits within your values. Know the research as well. There are, you know, we don't want to be spoon feeding an 18 month old, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, take the best of from each. And honestly, it's it's called combo feeding at this point. If we have to give it a name, we'll give it a name. It's called combo feeding. It's a little bit of a little bit of both. But there are purees in our lives as adults. There are soups, there are porridges, there are yogurts, Ooh, there these. are things that you eat with a spoon. And scooping as a function is not going to happen until closer to 18 months of age. So there's going to be a period where you need to put food on a spoon and hand it over to your baby Um, no matter how you start solids. So um, I just want to give everyone the permission to let go of having to pick a particular philosophy or method um, because it doesn't have to be that way. It's just Mm -hmm. sort of that our society has gotten very um, 
compartmentalized in that way, this exercise, this diet, this method, yeah. and you, don't, you moms, don't need to do that. I feel that society likes to, I don't know if it's pit us against each other sometimes, but if you even think about the stay-at-home mom versus the working mom, like they like, society likes to put us in boxes and yeah. you know, there's a lot of mom guilt around so much. And I like, for me, I'll use me as an example. And I know a lot of you in my DMS, when I was told that we were going to start introducing solids, I was so excited. And then I thought I was doing a good job. And then I'd see someone else doing something. And I was like, wait, fuck, I haven't done that yet. And I'll even get DMs if I post that I prepped something and they're like, oh my gosh, like I'm so far behind. And I just want to remind everyone that like, A, there's a different roadmap for everyone. B, it's okay that everyone is doing like stuff yeah. on their own timeline. Yeah. A hundred years ever, ago, you would never would have seen, that. you wouldn't you may have, have known. seen your, your sister's child or your, you know, like you would not have, you would not have seen that. I think this generation of parents, our generation of parents, I'm a little bit older than you, but I think we've lost our confidence and yes. our trust in ourselves. And one of the, one of the reasons you know, I started our platform was to help parents find their confidence again in, in their, in the choices that they're making. Um, there, there are factual things that do make certain strategies better than others. That is just, mm -hmm. a, you know, a function of swallowing and choking prevention and all of that. Like, for example, if you take a diced potato and you put that in your baby's mouth with your fingers, you are increasing the risk of choking versus letting your child reach for that and bring it to their own mouth. So there are, that is because the, when the brain cognitively decides, I'm going to pick that piece of food up and bring it to my mouth. Um, the, the chewing is more coordinated, which is a brainstem activity, right? So uh, choking is a failure of, of coordination of the swallows. So there are sort of strategies that have factual, you know, evidence behind them. But in large part, I created this platform so that parents could feel more confident about feeding them in a way that felt intuitive to them. And we'll get DMs and comments all the time. And I almost end with this, trust your gut. Yes. <laughs> You're the one that's there. You're, you know, your baby best. We hear these things all the time. I know, I know my baby's best. I know there's something for everyone, but the, the sort of comparison, the temptation of comparison is, is so tempting. I think that this generation, the challenge is to override that and find their confidence in their own, in their own parenting. Absolutely. And someone sent in like, how do I make feeding solids less stressful? And I think it's just mm -hmm. that it's like having some fun with it, not making it a big thing, thinking of it as an adventure for you all and not like a big, stressful, intimidating thing. And that's why I love solid starts. I also am curious, there was a, so when it comes to the choking and then we'll move on from that, but overwhelmingly the number one question I got was how do I deal with my boomer parents pissed off that I'm doing baby led feeding? <laughs> and I will speak from experience that my, the two grandmothers, so my mother and my husband's mother, I mean, everyone's on board, but the two grandmothers are like able to sit there and watch and they get nervous. My mom, especially, and my mom tries to interject and I immediately tell her to stop. The two grandfathers like cannot be in the same room. They have to literally leave because it freaks them out so much. And I'm fortunate where they are very respectful. The four of them to my husband and I, as parents, they 
understand that we make the ultimate decision. And, you know, we said to them, these are the reasons why we're doing baby led weaning. This is why we think it's the best fit for our family. But what advice do you have for parents who are dealing with grandparents that are not getting on board? Oh, did you actually, I did. I don't know. I have to go back and look at it, but we have a blog on talking to family members about baby led weaning um, that I'll send to you. But, um, Listen, I think the first step is actually to have empathy with your family members, which I know is a really difficult thing, depending on the family member, but we have to remember that they are a product of a a generation that was so heavily advertised and marketed to, I can't even tell you. I mean, the strategies of the corporations that created the baby food market, their strategy was to convince the pediatricians essentially to tell the mom that her breast milk was not safe, that formula was better, that her food was not safe, that their canned um, jar of food scientifically prepared by men, white males in, um, you know, white, uh, what do you call those? Like a lab suits, chemist jackets was safer, right? So there was a whole like many, 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 many millions of dollars over about four decades of advertising to convince the parent that their approach was not safe and to make the parent question whether what they were doing was right. There is an advertisement that comes to mind where the baby is on the floor crying and reaching for the mother and the text of the advertisement says something like this, get out of the kitchen, mom, and attend to your baby. Read, you are neglecting your child if you are preparing homemade food for them. So this kind of advertisement like would cause, you know, riots in the streets if we saw that today. Oh my God. That's what your grandmother was reading. That's what your grandmother and your grandfather were reading, right? It was really targeted at, I actually, I am a fan of saying that mom guilt was marketed. I actually believe it was engineered by the madmen. I mean, there's sort of an innate thing there, of course, so we always feel like we're not doing the right thing, but I think it is as pronounced as it is because of the marketing that our grandmothers and our mothers endured. They just didn't realize it at the time what it was. You know, I'll give you an example. Um, There's a baby food company. I won't name who it is because I'm at the point where I'll probably be sued, but there's a baby food company out there that um, in the 1930s and 40s and 50s published um, uh, quote unquote scientific studies on how their product was superior to the homemade product um, and published them in the American Dietetics Journal, positing it as fact. Were they peer reviewed? No, it was like a completely self-funded study, you know, like that would just never fly today. You would never see something in a pediatrics magazine that wasn't peer reviewed or, you know, it's just crazy. So um, I think when we're talking to family members first, just connecting, like they are a product of their generation and that generation is a product of the generation before. And the last 100 years in particular were so heavily marketed to mom guilt and really pointing out all of those kind of digging into all of those sensitivities and that the weaknesses that we have as parents, the Don Drapers of the world, like really got them good, you know? Yeah. Um, and so of course they're going to be afraid. Let me give you an example. The notion of 
baby food that has to come in stages, stage one for young babies, stage two for a little bit older, stage three and so forth, was a marketing construct to keep you on that baby food product for a longer period of time. Why does that matter? If you come in at six months of age and you just need baby food for a month, that baby food company doesn't make so much money from you. No, if you stay they want you on coming that back. product until their junior food line, they're talking about a lifetime customer value that is infinitely larger. So they are a product of that industry and that marketing. So first, just know that that, that empathy is going to be necessary for you to be able to connect with them. What I typically say is that, you know, this, the, the studies show that the longer a baby is um, fed textureless food, the more at risk they are of jaw weakness, uh, chewing kind of uh, weaknesses and malfunctions, um, delayed oral motor skills, and uh, severe picky eating. That is That is well documented. And I think, again, yes, meeting them with empathy, because at the end of the day, they also are having these opinions because yes, they're outdated, but they are nervous for the well-being of your child. So there's a good root there. Yeah. But I think reiterating what we spoke about earlier in the episode of like, this is why I'm choosing to do it. And at the end of the day, you are the parent. Um, and you know, you get to set that decision. So my hope we have some animations yeah. on the swallow that we're producing soon to show people exactly how it is that food goes down the throat and how, like what, what, it, what is actually happening when a child is choking and really educate people on this. And my hope is that, you know, next year, two years from now that the, the mom receiving criticism from her mother-in-law or whoever at the table is going to be like, well, actually, did you know that during the swallow? Oh, totally. I mean, <laughs> because there's these really compelling facts. And if you just show them visually, it's like, yes. oh my God, I get it now. I totally get it. When you put a mashed food on a spoon and put it in baby's mouth, they are sucking to swallow. They're not chewing. Mm -hmm. So a stage three mash with chunky beef in it is far <laughs> more dangerous because they're sucking to swallow it and they're not chewing it than the steak. Oh my God. It's actually the opposite of what we've been right. told all of this time. You should have seen me and my father at Thanksgiving dinner. It was very entertaining. Did you do the, um, the, the drumstick? <laughs> yeah, he was eating. Yes. And at one point, Liam was like gagging, which is expected. It was very early on. It was November. He was exactly six months, like a little yeah. more than six months. So it was yeah. very early in his baby led weaning. And my dad like could not sit there. And he, and he was respectful of me, but I could tell he was having a very hard time. I yeah. want to touch... So we've touched on the picky eating and you said that that's like the other main reason that you are a large baby led weaning proponent. I want to dive into that with the initial question being, I did not do this. So I hope that the answer is no, but do we really need to test out a new ingredient every three days? <laughs> no, you don't. Okay, and you don't need to this. wait three days either in between. So you can, I did not do this. The whole spectrum, there doesn't need to be a methodical way of about, about that. Look, the, that, that approach was basically, um, a derivative from old recommendations around introducing allergens. Right. Pediatricians 
10, 20 years ago, were a lot more afraid of allergens and introducing. In fact, if you were a mom in the 1990s, your pediatrician would have told you to hold off on all allergens until age three. Holy shit. In that time, these landmark studies were published showing that actually they had it backwards and the early introduction of allergens had the potential, the like 88% more likely potential, like fairly significant to prevent that food allergy from developing altogether, particularly with egg and peanut. So um, we've, you know, look, there's a reason why we all feel like kind of jerked around, like the research has changed, the landscape has changed, everything is actually changing. But You can start out with as many foods as you like and go at a pace that works for you. If your child is at high risk of food allergies, and you can tell that by whether they have severe eczema, um, if you have family history of food allergies, that might factor in. If you have both of those things, the risk is a little bit higher, right? Um, But if you've got severe eczema or a a deep family history of food allergies, you might want to go a little more slowly and more deliberate. Um, but, you know, my, my twins, for example, had five foods on their first day and three the next day. And it was just because that's what our family was was eating. That's what we'd like to see everyone move toward. But of course, we're kind of needing to meet people where they are. And right. that's why I created the free food database that we have on our website so that you know, if you're really nervous about how to cut something or the order of something of which food should come first, you can kind of pace yourself in a way that feels good for you. And I found the allergen introduction sheet on your website incredibly helpful because like I kind of just tossed a bunch of different food at Liam in the beginning, but the allergens I was a little bit more aware of just God forbid something be wrong. Um, Okay. So I'm happy that answer was that the other so when it comes to pickiness, right? Like obviously the goal is that your child is eating the meal that the parents are eating. I'm curious, selfishly, this is kind of where I'm still, I'm not in the middle. I'm like pretty heavily doing what you're pitching, but what about like the seasonings? Is that okay for like, I, why am I under the impression that like they shouldn't be eating salted foods? Am I crazy? (laughs) The Puritans told you a long time ago that, spicy food was bad for your soul and might make you, you know, (laughs) go to hell. Essentially, that's the short answer. (laughs) It's true. A lot of the, um, the recommendations around bland food for babies was actually um, born out of of Puritan ideals and quote unquote sanitariums back in the day to cleanse your soul. So spicy food or any food with heat was associated with a negative connotation and not appropriate for elderly or women um, or babies. And that's what that's like what the rice cereal industry is, is kind of based on. And then it was fortified with vitamins. So the pediatricians got on board. Um, If you ever have a moment, Google the history of Kellogg cereal, and you'll find some very racy and interesting um, things there. There was a belief that bland food would cleanse your soul and that spicy food or heavy food and fats, things like that would, um, lead you astray, shall I say. I'm far fucking astray then. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) It's fascinating. Um, So, you know, again, we have to look at the context in which we're stepping into. We've got loads of history behind us that are shaping our perceptions, whether we realize it or not. 
Um, but uh, in terms of seasoning, you know, you don't want to pour a ton of salt on baby's food. You don't want to salt baby's food at all. Um, there's, it's, there's a lot of kind of misinformation around salt. We have a great sodium page if you want to read about it, but um, the reality is, is that the amount of salt that a baby needs at six months or nine months or 12 months of age is really, really minimal. And it's easy to kind of overdo it. You don't want to prime their palate for salty foods, but you also don't want to cross over that, that line. Almost all nutrients become toxic at some point in certain quantities. You see that with vitamin A and you see that with um, sodium. So we have to be, want to be mindful that we're staying in kind of what right. their body needs. You're not dousing their food with fish sauce or, you know, um, condiments that might have a ton of salt in it. Past that, go for the garlic, go for the spice. I would not. Yeah, Liam like- loves garlic. Yeah. I would, you know, there's, a, there's this belief that babies can't handle Um, foods that we eat, which is, it's just not true. Now, would I introduce beans for the first time in a a chili pepper with chipotle and cayenne? No, but not for the reason that it might initially upset them. I wouldn't introduce it that way because I want want baby to learn that beans taste like beans and that sometimes they're spicy and sometimes they're acidic because they've got vinegar on them. And sometimes they're not. If you introduce, you know, chili with a ton of spice and that's the first exposure to beans, baby's probably like, okay, all beans are spicy. All beans make my mouth hurt enough with the beans. (laughs) So I actually love introducing cayenne pepper. We have a cayenne pepper page on our uh, food database um, on mango. And, you know, hopefully the mango has already been introduced, they know that mango is not spicy, but, um, and kind of showing them and dusting it on and just a very tiny, tiny bit of it and saying, this is spicy. (laughs) This is spicy. And then intentionally introducing that spice and working your way up. So, um, you can go ahead and season your foods. Don't worry about the spices and the herbs. In fact, cut all the green herbs, put the parsley and put the cilantro in early, the more flecks of green they see and the more food touching other food they see, um, the more shot you've got at preventing picky eating later on. Okay. Amazing. I will say the one day that I, I mean, I've had a few of these moments, but the one moment where I was like, I'm a bad fucking mom was I was at my older sister's apartment or house and we had Liam and he was eating solids, but I didn't bring anything. And I was like, mad, can I just grab some of these like prepared vegetables? Her husband like meal preps every Sunday. And she was like, yeah, and I, I think she actually said, beware of the spices. And I just wasn't listening. So I, <laughs> I put some Brussels sprouts on the plate for him. And all of a sudden his eyes start tearing. He's like kind of freaking out. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like this kid has eaten Brussels yeah. sprouts before. What's happening? Aww. And my older sister's like, is he okay? And I'm like, I'm not sure. And then Joe's like, are they spicy? And I tried it. And I was like, oh, yes, they are. But he's fine. <laughs> lesson learned. Yeah. And that first initial taste of heat is going to make most babies cry. I have a really beautiful video of my daughter, 80. I think it's on our mango page on the website, if not in the social media, but she's tasting cayenne for the first time she cries. And then she's like, looking at me, like what's going on with this food? It's I'm not used to this. And then she literally starts going back for more and then more amazing and more and more and she finishes the whole plate 
And I was like, okay, that all happened in like three minutes of time. Had I leaped out of my chair and ran over to her and picked her up and ended the meal because, oh, my poor baby, you cried a little bit because there was heat. You know, she may not have ever had that opportunity to learn that she actually likes flavorful food. She likes spicy food. That initial sensation in their mouth is just brand new and shocking to them. You can expect a tear or so, but you can also start really, 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 really small, like the finest dusting of Mm -hmm. that spice to ease baby in. You don't have to go from zero to 100. So I don't want to be like, oh yeah, Jenny, best to say, make your baby. Babies cry with Chipotle pepper. That's not what I'm saying. But I, I do want I do want the listeners to question why it is they think that baby babies can only have bland food and to understand that that belief is actually a really complicated piece of history that um, was manipulating people to buy product. So right. Unfortunately, <laughs> babies can have big right. flavors and a lot of them really a lot of them really love it. My, um, what do my, you... my son loves raw radishes and I'm like, why? I don't even Ugh. understand, but oh. go for it, kid. <laughs> what do you recommend parents do with babies who are maybe around a year who are all like, for whatever reason, picky eaters yeah. and yeah. they're struggling to navigate that? Like, what are the next best steps? Yeah. So first of all, I just want to say that assigning your child or deciding that they are picky is a subjective thing that you are doing that may not actually be truth. So most children around 12 months of age get more selective with their food choices. Most toddlers get more selective with their food choices. But when we talk about picky eating, what we're really talking about is a child who is consistently refusing their full meal, who is crying and screaming at the table, who will only eat maybe five, six, seven, maybe 10, if you're lucky, foods, who is going to object because the chicken nuggets is a different brand than they normally eat because that dusting on the outside is a little bit different texture. So when we talk about picky eating, we're talking about... Um, a situation that is extremely stressful for both the parent and the child. And I usually say, if you're not sure if you've got a picky eater, um, ask yourself this question, am I planning the foods that I know my child will eat in advance? So I'm planning dinner like, okay, well, Charlie will only eat Um, chicken nuggets, buttered pasta, and whatever. And so that's what we're having for dinner tonight. If you've gone that far to where your entire meals are planned around what your child will eat, you probably have a picky eating situation that you need to deal with. And we have a whole set of materials and resources on our website that can help you navigate out of that. For the average run-of-the-mill 12-month-old toddler who is actually not really picky, they're just becoming a toddler, what I would say is feign indifference. There's a lot of tactics you can use to coax a child into um, getting comfortable and exploring a new food and all of that. But at the end of the day, what happens in toddlerhood is they get a little more selective. The parent starts freaking out and then it spirals down and down and down and they can't find their way out because it's become a power struggle at the table. So when your toddler is throwing food at you, swiping it off the plate, declaring that it's the worst dinner ever at three years old, which will happen. I want you to like put on your Stepford face and say, I see that you're not hungry tonight or that you're not interested in dinner. 
that's okay. That's your choice. You don't have to eat. There'll be more at breakfast and move on with your day. Move on with your day. Don't go changing the feeding schedule and then offering this, you know, favored snack an hour later because toddlers learn to game the system. The way toddlers learn is by pushing your buttons. And so if you're going to kind of fall into that trap, you're just going to make it worse and worse. So mm -hmm. get out of the way, feign indifference, continue offering the family food. Do not start catering to their demands. You can involve your toddler. Would you like macaroni and cheese tonight or butter pasta, whatever you can involve them in the choices and creating the menu, but really catch yourself with your emotions at the table. Try not to let it get a rise out of you. Don't get angry. Don't pressure. Don't say, but I know you like that. I know you ate that last week. You said it was your favorite food last week and now it's awful. Don't have a rational conversation with them because what they're going through is not rational. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so feign indifference fake it until you make it and, you know, deal with your emotions of being upset that they refused a meal or your worry about their weight away from them and away from the table. Um, we have a, um, a set of toddlers at the table guides coming out this month that will help uh, families through this transition because it is very tricky. They want to climb out of their high chairs one minute into the meal. And, you know, how you react, how the parent reacts in those moments is largely what will determine whether you end up on the scale or the, the spectrum of severe picky eating or not. It's not a popular thing to say around here that what mm -hmm. we as parents are bringing to the table um, matters, <laughs> shall I say? Um, but it does, you know, I think if you are pressuring the child to eat, even if it's positive pressure, um, that's going to have an unintended consequence. And I think that's really the, the thing that I want to leave you all with is that there are unintended consequences to our well-intentioned efforts at the table. And the more you try to quote unquote, get your child to eat, the more you're slipping into that downward spiral. You've got to let go. You've got to let them have it be their choice. And in fact, like Honestly, the best tip I can give you with toddlers is to create the sense of choice. So we've got oatmeal. Would you like to put blueberries in that or raspberries? Or we've got yogurt. Would you like to put rainbow sprinkles in that or chocolate sprinkles? Like those little choices are everything. But at the end of the day, it's all the same thing. They want to be in control. So you need to look for ways to let them have some control at the table within the, the confines of your family routine. That's very incredible and smart advice. And I think I'm putting myself in the seat, not when it comes to food, but like right now, for instance, with crawling, you know, everyone's like, Oh, is Liam crawling, is Liam crawling. And he's not, he's 10 months old and I'm okay with it. But there are some times where like, I'm like trying to like maneuver him and mm -hmm. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? And it's so yeah. much of parenting I've come to learn is that it's a fear or a a feeling of insecurity of how it will project to others on how we look. We're worried yeah. about the projection of how we're perceived as parents less than whether it's actually a problem for the child, because we it's don't really want to be a parent that like, you know, oh, if, if he can't crawl, then like that's on me because I did something mm -hmm. wrong when you mm -hmm. didn't at all. And mm -hmm. so I think that advice is great that you just gave. I really appreciate you being on here. This was so informative and helpful. I highly recommend everyone go follow and get more of you. Where is the best place for the Freckled Foodie family to support you? 
Yeah. Instagram would be great. Just follow us on Instagram. That's where we show up the most or, you know, our website where the free food database is. The app is apparently like in the top 10% worldwide now of all apps ever, which is going my mind. <laughs> That's amazing. I, like, I don't think we should do an app. And my team was like, we should do an app. I'm like, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's necessary. <laughs> So the app you can find in Google Play and Apple and um, it's, for, it's free on the app and it's free on our website as well, the food database. So that's that's Everything. the most popular thing that we've got. <laughs> Perfect. Everything will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming Thank on here. You, really you are it. awesome. It was really refreshing to talk to someone so candid and just like real. And I'm sorry <laughs> for you. being so disorganized at the start. Stop. We do not apologize. <laughs> that's something I've learned. All right. I'll do, go with that. Not. Okay. Hi, Cameron. Thank you so much. It was really nice meeting you. You as well. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. I love doing this more than anything in the world. If you could be so kind as to rate and or review the show, share a screenshot on your Instagram story, whatever you feel like doing to show some love, I would really appreciate it. Obviously, follow at Pod on Instagram and me at Freckled Foodie for more content. Thank you for being a part of the FF fam, and I hope you have a wonderful day.